Excuse me while I be a boss around here. Boss, boss, boss. Yeah. Stop running in the hole! Hey, what? It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs? It is. It's us. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. If your kids can watch the show, they can handle the podcast. And this is episode 23 of Midsummer Maniacs. Is this the youngest death we've seen in this episode? Depends whether you're going on the age of the actor or the character. The age of the character, because yes. clearly he's 45. Yes. <laughs> uh, this episode was, uh, well. It's murder on St. Mally's Day. Murder on St. Mally's Day. <laughs> you might want to tell them what episode we're talking about. Which is <laughs> season five, episode five. Yes. And uh, I'm going to get irritating about this. But it says St. Mally's, apostrophe S, in the title of the episode. Mm -hmm. And in the title card of the episode. Mm -hmm. And then they don't know where to put apostrophes after that. So after that, the day no longer belongs to St. Mally? No, it's not his day anymore. It's it's many St. Mally's running around having a day? Yes. Okay. <laughs> they go from possessive to plural. <laughs> Aren't you an English major? Uh, the episode is filmed July and August in 2001 and broadcast the 22nd of September, 2002. And 9.37 million viewers directed by Peter Smith and written by Andrew Payne. And, you know, I think Andrew Payne may have went to one of these schools. You think he went to a posh school? I, I, I think there might be some lingering stuff here. There are definitely some actors in this episode who went to posh schools. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you about that. Uh, the episode takes place in a village called Midsummer Parva. It's interesting because Parva in Latin means little. Oh, it's like Little Midsummer. Yeah, it's it's uh, like every use of Latin in this episode. It is used to put something down. Yeah, and unnecessarily. It, the cold open shows a guy driving down the road in his car. And this then, is Archie Bellingham, we'll learn. Yeah, and the road is blocked by some traffic cones that he the, gets out. And the moves. worst trap ever. Yeah. Like, if I was driving along a country road and I saw that, I'd be like, hmm, this may be a trap. Would you really? I would. I think I, you'd do exactly what he did, except you'd stack them neatly. Well, Instead of throwing it, them into the ditch. Yes, I, it did irritate me that he threw them into the <laughs> ditch. What caught me, though, is it looks like the road winds through a moor. Yeah, it's like... It's a very non-midsummer place. And also, it's like, okay, was Spoonman, which I call him, the murderer... That's what you just, call Ludlow, Spoonman? Yeah, Spoonman. Was he just waiting there, yeah. knowing that he was going to come down? Like, this is a lot of preeminent meditation they were expecting him to bring the buddha i guess which is brass yes not gold or anything no. don't get me started on how cheap the props are in this episode well and it's a whole room of crap you could buy at pier one or and whatever. i don't think buddhists are gonna do gold stuff don't they have a thing about golden images or no something? not necessarily okay. but it's just so clearly a cheap brass buddha yeah that 
it's it's hard to go. Oh, it's a treasure. Cheap Brass Buddha. That's a fun name. It's the name of my band. Yep. Cheap Brass Buddha. Devington School, One Mile, Scum. <laughs> That's I the just, kind of thing the townies would paint on a sign. I just think of uh, Brian, what's scum his name, bags. running scum in bags. and going, scum. <laughs> <laughs> he would have written scumbag. Yes, he would have. <laughs> uh, we're transferred to the school where they don't pay their electrical bill. This is Devington School. Yes. Let's talk about schools for a second. Okay. Because this is a very posh, exclusive school. So this is, okay, I'll I'll play a North American person. This is a private school then. No, no, it's a public school because we're in the UK. But public school is where everybody can go. No. So, (laughs) So not all, so in the UK, private schools that are not religious are called public schools. Okay. And government-run schools. Okay. So not all government-run schools are called. Okay. Let me back up. Okay. I'm confused already. Okay. So there's three kinds of schools. Okay. There are publicly funded schools. Okay. That normal people go to. Yes. And they're just schools. Like Troy. Yeah. He just goes to school. Yeah. Just school. Okay. Then there are private schools, which in the UK they call public schools. Okay. Okay, but there's a reason for that. And then the third are religious schools. Okay. okay? The religious schools were first. Yeah. And so even if you were extremely wealthy, if you weren't of the religion, you could not go to that school. So is this why, like, at universities like Oxford, they have colleges that are, you know, that are religious-related? Right. Yes. So if it was a Catholic private school, no matter how wealthy your parents were, they could not buy you a seat. Okay. So then non-religious affiliated schools popped up mm-hmm. and they called them public schools because they were open to any member of the public who could afford it. Okay. Now that's why in Canada when I was schools gr- are called public schools. In Canada when I was growing up public schools were the non-private schools, the ones for everybody. The ones that were governmentally government yeah. funded, right? Yeah. No. So a a public school in the UK is a not-for-profit, non-religious, fee-paying school that offers both boarding and day students. So Devington's not-for-profit. Pro- not right. Well, then we're done here. It's not a non-profit. It's a not-for-profit. <laughs> Which defeats the entire purpose of the episode. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the whole point, right? Okay, yeah. So Anthony and the guy who gets killed right off the bat... Um, Archie. They they're trying to profit. Oh, okay. Whereas the true Devontonians are trying to reinvest in the school and their students. Ah. Which okay. is what a not for profit does. They can make money, but they have to reinvest the money in the institution. Okay. Instead of taking the money out. Now you know. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it's a public school. Do you think uh Barnaby went to a public uh a public school or he went to regular school? I, went, I think he went to regular school. Well, we know Troy did because yeah. there's references to it. Well, no. we, we go to his school. Yeah. Right. We visit his school. Scumbag. Scumbag, scumbag works there. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Clapper soup flat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and it's pretty common for um, these exclusive public schools to have some kind of, not a secret club, but like an exclusive club. because It's 
because if you can afford to be there, that doesn't mean that you should be there according to their standards or whatever. Yeah. So you're going to get some rich but not classy people get in, and so they need that kind of next echelon up of exclusivity. Because this reminds me of like Skull and Bones at, at Harvard. Yale. That's Harvard Yale. or Yale or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, and they're, I mean, every school's got them. They're more common in um, private universities than yeah. in, because this school is like six through 18. Yeah. But yeah, Yale's got Skull and Bones. Oxford has one called the Bullingdon Club and Cambridge has one called the Apostles. The, oh, Wow, that doesn't go straight to their head or anything. No, not at all. But there's <laughs> tons of stories. And there's a lot of stories about So if you meet somebody from schools. Cambridge, go, were you an apostle? Wink, wink, nod, wink, nod. Wink. You think they have a special handshake or something? You know it. They they're just, all Masonic they related, just suddenly sure. pose like they're at the Last Supper, and that's yeah. how you know they're in? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. So the exclusive club at Devington is the Pudding Club. The Pudding Club. Which we know was founded because the food was bad. And so the rich kids shipped food in from London. Including these suet puddings. Yeah. Which, as far as I can tell, are a shell of pastry with gravy in it. Yeah. They look gross. Or, and cigarettes later on. Later on. So. Yeah. If Marcus has anything to do with it. Speaking of Marcus, he's running this meeting. And he's got something to say to Daniel Talbot. Marcus Haywood just makes me think of Blaine. He's and so pretty Blaine. And pink. He's absolutely Blaine from Pretty in Pink. It's not a name. It's an appliance. It's not a name. It's an appliance. He's very posh. And he's accusing Daniel of fraternizing with the village folk. Of sharing pudding club secrets. Fight! Outsiders. Fight! Fight! fight. <laughs> They're such a posse with their big spoons. And the. But they don't get plates. It doesn't matter how fancy you are. The no pudding club does not get a plate. No plate for you. And Ludlow's outside with the giant spoon mace. <laughs> he he will he will beat you to death with that spoon. He will, certainly. <laughs> and Jonathan, what's his last name? Oh. Eckersley Hyde. Eckersley Hyde arrives. You gotta have a double barrel last name to be fancy. Yes. Speaking Latin, desist. <laughs> I, I I like that when he takes Daniel to see his grandfather, he wears his gown in the car. He wears his gown almost this entire episode. Well, he hardly ever leaves the campus. That's true. Right? When he's yeah. on campus, that makes sense. Yeah. But when you leave campus, you're supposed to take it off. Yeah. Like, that's the rule. And Marcus does this thing that bullies, I hate when they do, when, the, you know, the teacher shows up, they're acting all nice and smarmy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. By the way, as a teacher, we we all know you're doing this. Yeah, but in this case, they wouldn't care. Yeah, they don't really care. They're a bunch of ruffians anyway. Now off to Buckingham Palace. I mean, Charles's palace. I mean, Anthony's palace. The Talbot home. The Talbot home. <laughs> yeah, because Anthony Talbot looks like Charles. <laughs> <laughs> He's played by Jeremy Child. Okay. And in reality... Jeremy Child is a baron. Oh, my gosh. So he, he's had this way of discussing things all his life, too. Oh, he's playing himself. Yeah. Basically. Well, I'm assuming he's a nice person. He may be a nice person. He's not a nice in, person in, in terms the of his class. Yeah. He is playing himself. And his father's dying, and his wife really doesn't care. Yeah. Miranda, did Miranda have another gig at this point in time? Because... 
every single so- shot she's in, she's looking to leave. Wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. The Talbot's house is actually a house called Hall Barn. Oh, it's it, in the old barn. It's the furthest thing from a barn ever. <laughs> certainly no <laughs> barn. But that same house has been used in Downton Abbey. It was used in Chariots of Fire. It was used in Howard's End. It was used in Gosford Park. Like, it is the house. But but they, like, they don't in this episode, but they always refer to those houses as the old pile. Yeah. It's the kind of house that you can't afford to keep up after the death duties. It's that kind of house. Exactly. Actually owned by the UK government in reality. Um, you can sort of see in a couple of shots when they're outside, especially when they're up in the graveyard on the hill, you can see that there's like a lake or a pond kind of behind it. And on yeah. the other side of it, there's this little temple, this little Greek temple. There's a folly out there. It's a temple to Venus and yeah. it's a folly. And that folly has been used in more TV and movie shows than the house. Temple of Venus. Yes. If that's not a thing that you take your mistress or the maid out to. The fact that it's clearly visible from the house kind of hurts your chances there. But uh, yeah, I don't think he cares. So Sir Walter's dying. And luckily we know this because doctor is here. Yes. (laughs) Only ever referred to as doctor. Played by Roger Brierly. Not the doctor. Not a doctor. Doctor. It's like nanny. Yes. You don't call her the nanny. You call her nanny. He dies only after he knows that it's after midnight, which means it's St. Mally's Day. So St. Mally's Day is not an actual holiday, strangely enough. Um, But it always reminds me of St. Swithin's Day. Do you know about St. Swithin's Day? No. St. Swithin's Day is an actual it's not a holiday. It's like a tradition in England. Mm-hmm. And it, it, when I tell you about it, you'll be like, oh, that's where that's from. Okay. So if it rains on St. Swithin's Day, it's expected to rain for the next 40 days. So this tradition of an event happening on a particular day predicting the weather. Like Groundhog Day? Yes. But 40 days of rain is a little bit different than a couple more weeks of cold weather. I'm building the ark, man. Yeah, I mean, that's like crossing the desert or something. I don't know. That's that's kind of a hard one to live up to. But that, when I heard about St. Thwithin's Day, I was like, oh, so that got translated to North America as Groundhog Day. Do you think St. Swithin looked a little bit like a groundhog? I don't know, but I would... Maybe he was a little hairy man who came out of a hole. <laughs> it rained today. It's of... going to rain forever 40 years. Of course. And he goes back into his hole. The real reason... <laughs> Of course, the real reason I know about St. Thwithin's Day is because there's a Billy Bragg song about St. Thwithin's Day. And, of course, the relationship ends and it rains. So Ah, so St. Malley is not a real saint? Nope. Okay. No St. Malley at all. Long story short. It's going to rain for 40 years. And Miranda is right to the booze. Miranda's doing everything she can to get away from these horrible men that she's roped herself to. Other than her son, who seems genuinely nice. I feel bad because I've seen that actress before, and I think she does good stuff. I think she just is like an add-on in this episode. Yeah. She's She's kind of a foil to the rest of them. Like, rich people can be genuine and nice. It's possible, but only if you're a woman. And not speak too much Latin. Yeah. We go to the school, Mm -hmm. right? Well, Barnaby and Joyce are brought to the school because of their best friends. That we've never met before. Never met before. The Woodards. George and Sylvia. They have a son, Toby. Yes. 
who wants to go there or they want him to go there. Why don't they bring him with them and, to see no, the school? I, they have to bring Tom and Joyce. I, I just imagine the writers sitting there going, okay, we need an excuse for them to be there for the race. But there hasn't been a crime committed yet that they know about, so Tom wouldn't be there for that reason. So what other reason could we have? The hmm. Woodards. I know, they're visiting the school, but not because of Cully going there or something like that. Because <laughs> we all know Cully gets sent down. They must have some friends. It's just, it's a bad, I mean, it, it works, it's fine, but I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they've got better things to do with their time. To the brave and faithful, nothing is impossible to translate from Latin. <laughs> Eckersley yes. Hyde definitely likes to speak in Latin just because it makes him feel smart and important, I think. So the St. Mally's Day race is not really a race. It's cross-country wrestling. Yes, yeah. It's 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 rugby relay or something. Something. Because they have to carry a rugby ball, and the person who crosses the finish line with the rugby ball wins. So the other thing that annoys me no end in any of these shows... It happens all the time, and every time it happens, I am annoyed by it. And that is, if your microphone makes that sound before it's turned on or while it's being turned on, you need to fire your sound guy. <laughs> the feedback sound that yeah. every mic makes in every TV show? It doesn't need to make that sound. <laughs> it drives me insane. That's because you're an AV guy. That, like to you. me, as a sound guy, that is a failing of the sound people. Devington doesn't strike me as a um, super techie place. It, I doubt they've got an AV guy. They have a Mac. No, one kid has a Mac. And a PS1. Yeah, one <laughs> kid. They don't have, notice they don't have kids running the, the mics there, no, right? No. So let's talk about the kids before we go too far into the plot. You mean the adults? Yes, they are adults, definitely. So uh, Nicholas Odsley, who plays Marcus Haywood, He's 20 okay. in this episode. The actor is 20 years old. Daniel Talbot is played by Sam Crane, and he is 23. Oh, my gosh. In this episode. Okay. Now, they're supposed to be 18, yeah. right? Paul Starkey, who's the pub owner's kid, yeah. the bad kid, is played by um, Luke DeWolfson. He's 26. Charlie Mennell, played by Tom Fell. Um, Charlie's the blonde-haired kid who gets the into the get. he gets into the pudding club after yeah. Dan Daniel dies. He's 26, and Arabella Haywood, played by Anna Maxwell Martin, who we'll talk a lot about. Yeah. But this is Marcus's sister. She's 25. Yeah. Now she still looks 25. Yes, she does. That woman has a baby face and will never age. No. I'm incredibly jealous of her, but she's 25. So the oldest of them is Charlie. Charlie Mennell. Yeah. I noticed the picture of IMDb for the guy who plays Marcus Hayward has, like, he's got scruff on his face. I was like, ooh, he's a man. Yeah. Nick, Nicholas Odsley's been in a lot of things yeah, since. Since. Um, but still, it does not look his age. No. There's this whole, the, this group of actors who, they look very young. Yeah. They pull it off. Yep. I, be I believe that they're young. I buy it. Okay. None of them's got a paunch or anything. No. <laughs> so the idea of this race is there's a ball. Now, I did notice in the picture of Daniel's grandfather winning the race, he did not have a ball. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. He's carrying it. Well, I didn't think he was. Yeah. Okay. He's carrying it. I can be wrong. Don't worry. We'll get to a point where I'm very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you carry that ball 
through the race, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it, I guess it's no rules in terms of what you can do to get that ball. It's whoever crosses the finish line with the ball. Yeah. Wins. So the bell goes off to start the race mm-hmm. a little bit late. Mm-hmm. And then the clock, which clearly says 3 p.m., mm-hmm. in my mind, translated to 9 a.m. <laughs> So the rest you were of, thinking mirror clock time, the, huh? The rest of the notes in this section for me is all about why are there yobs in the village at 9 a.m.? <laughs> and then later on when they're establishing... Why does the race take all day? <laughs> they're establishing alibis. They're like, I was here at 3.20. I'm like, that's six and a half hours after the race started. You're silly. So I was wrong. It clearly starts at 3 p.m. Yes. Ludlow's supposed to ring the bell. It's delayed because we know he's not actually there because he's off in the woods ready to kill Daniel instead. Yes, Spoon Man. (laughs) So they go off running, and their running is weird. Yeah. Especially Daniel. I don't think he's ever run before. Well, and it's this weird mix of like a cross-country run where you would pace yourself, right? Yes. So the person in first in the beginning may not be the one who's winning at the end because they may be running too hard. Yeah. But in this case, since he's got the ball, he can't afford to have a leisurely pace. He has to run full out. Yeah, sprint, basically. And he doesn't want to run at all. No. So, yeah, he doesn't run super graceful. And then Charlie's right behind him, and he's just a big lumbering oaf. Luckily, his dad's there to cheer him on. And by cheer him on, I mean insult him until he starts to run. Yeah. Go, you idiot. Run. Oh, I hate his dad so much. It was kind of nice for Marcus to make sure that Daniel got the ball, though. It was. It's kind of Marcus is a, is a complex dude. He is. So they run past uh, Devington School Annex for Girls. And you know how, who has all the time in the world for girls? Marcus. Marcus. Stops, blows them little kisses and everything. The townies are even clapping here. Yeah, the the older people in town. I think and a lot of them probably benefit from the town-gown relationship, right? There's a lot of business associated with the mm-hmm. school. So the adults in town probably understand that it's a benefit to have the school there, whereas the younger people in town hate the school because they're, they're snobby. So we live in a university town. It is the town of Indiana University, one of the largest state-run schools in the country. Mm-hmm. It's a big school. And when we say town and gown, we mean the relationship between the people who live in town who are not associated with the university and the people who are associated with the university. This is the weird thing about Bloomington is you could go to the grocery store and meet somebody who had won a Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. It's it's a strange situation. Yeah. The person who cut you off at the four-way stop could be a professor emeritus of nuclear science or something. Yes. But you can still flip them off. It's okay. Yeah, absolutely. They're just people. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of people, they I mean, were- I'm, I'm a doctor and you can flip me off I'd say, if I'm stupid. It's okay. Yes. Speaking of people, Dudley Carew has got his rug. Where is he going with the rug? He seems to be moving things in and out of his house. I don't know why he's got all that junk outside of his house. I understand all the paperwork and stuff in his house, but not the junk outside. I'm glad that Dudley, uh, that Daniel has time to stop and say hi. Mm-hmm. I think what he wants to do is hide. I think so, too. He would like to go into Dudley's house. Dudley's like, run, run. So then he- there are yobs. I want to say that these yobs in the in the village green are not credited, 
but they do the best damn job as yobs ever. <laughs> they they are clearly yobs. They're probably the same kids who play extras at the school just in jean jackets. Oh, I'm sure they are. <laughs> but they immediately look like the way it's filmed, you like know exactly what's going to, oh, oh, there go the cans. They're yeah, throwing them they've, they've got lager cans. Yeah. And Paul is on his motorcycle. Paul Starkey almost runs uh, Carter off the road, Dennis Carter. Well, we'll get to that because it's a weird cut. And yeah. I want to talk about the weird cut. But I want to talk about the the first clearly aptly named pub. Yes. So it's called the Chalk and Gown, and it is clearly a rebranding of an existing pub. Yeah, they, a, they painted a sign just for the episode. Well, they, they made up a sign, mm -hmm. and it's in paint. It's not a very good job. No. Is that supposed to be a gown, that red thing? I think so. The, but nobody wears red gowns. I guess. It's weird. Yeah, I'm not sure. Back at the school, Barnaby has a great diplomat joke. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're fancy diplomatic people who go to that school and uh barnaby's yeah like really diplomatic i guess i guess because so, anthony anthony talbot is so rude there's like some tackling and on the track and off the track and all sorts of weird stuff and ends up that daniel goes into the forest to find a stump yeah because what he really wants to do is run away he's going after his hold all which we would call a duffel bag yes um, to take off. But Spoonman is there. We don't know it's Spoonman at this point in time. Because <laughs> Daniel goes, what the hell are you doing here? It's Ludlow. Yeah. The porter. Yeah. With this death, right, we're like, we know something bad happens here. But then there's this weird cut to a taxi going through a puddle mm -hmm. by a Ford sign. Well, it's a Ford because it's it's known that that part of the road floods. Yes. A That's Ford, why the sign is there. A Ford is a shallow place with good footing where the river or stream may be crossed by wading or inside a vehicle getting its wheels wet. Essentially, it's a warning that your vehicle could get wet. If you see this sign, drive slowly, but appreciate how clean your wheels will be afterwards. And Dennis Carter's station wagon, no problem going through that area, but... Paul Starkey on his motorcycle, there's no way he's going to go through he, it. He's going to be so wet, it's not funny. Yeah. So then Daniel, who had been cramping, right? They he had do a stitch this. in his side. He had a stitch in his side, and now running towards the school. Did you notice he's got no ball at this point, too? Or does he have the ball? I don't think you noticed the ball. I don't. I think man, you've got a block. Maybe I have ball blockage. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's got more to worry about since he's been stabbed. So maybe he dropped it. Yeah. I mostly I would be screaming, help me, help me, not I'm going to finish this race. And I know he's not going to finish the race, like he's not running towards the school to finish the race, but I would think he was would be in a little more panicky mode than slow-mo fall-down mode. And if he fell down on the racetrack, the other runners would have found him quicker than it would have taken him to get to the school. Yeah. If he needed help. I don't think he would have died from that injury anyway. Yeah, I don't think so Not that so quickly. Either. And we'll, there's a good 20-minute portion of this episode where it's not referred to him actually being dead or not. Yeah, when they initially start to question people, they, they say that he's been, he was attacked, he was stabbed, and then all of a sudden everybody's talking about him in the past tense and you know that he actually did die. Yeah, there, there's no clear, like there's no Sacco scene with him dead or anything no like we don't really we don't see his dead body and we just see him collapse and and then barnaby clearly sees he's injured but then feels the need to rub his hand around in the blood and hold it up can't you see he's injured 
uh, can't you see you should be screaming a ambulance at this? And putting pressure on yes, the wound instead pressure. of taking your hand off of it to show how bloody it is. Yeah. Then maybe he's going to rub it on his jacket like he did in the last episode. And the slow-mo is really bad here. I don't know what they use to film this or if it's on film or video, but the slow-mo is really choppy here. It's not as good as it could be. And the music is really weird. Yeah. Woo! And it's this kind of panicky, spinny camera. And the I think the whole point of having it in slow motion is to have the opportunity to show the reactions of the other people who are there. Um, in the to same, Daniel's in incredibly the hairy moment. legs? Because <laughs> ah, that's legs. what I was like. Whoa, that dude's Sasquatch. He's got legs like St. Swithin. <laughs> 40 days. But the, the, you, you need to see Anthony say, oh, get up, boy. Come on. You can't win if you don't get up. Like, yeah. you know, that's kind of insensitivity. And, you know, he is as obsessed with the school as Peter in the last episode with the bells. Right. Yeah. He's just single minded. Now, I know I'm a broken person. Do you know how I know I'm a broken person? I know all kinds of reasons why you're broken, but what about now? I have a note that says, 14 minutes in, three deaths. Nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> Archie, Walter, and Daniel have all died. We're not messing around. Death, right away. Two murders and one natural death, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about these buildings real quick. Because the where the race takes off, we're in this nice square with this big statue. And yeah. it... They they make a lot of the location. And not walking on the grass. Yeah, don't walk on the grass. So the girls' annex, the St. Mally's Girls' School, is shot at the Natural History Museum of Tring. Tring? That's what that building is. What is Tring? It's it's a village. Oh. I think. Where do you live? Tring? Tring! Hello? <laughs> Tring! Hello? And the, Tring, Tring! And Devington School, they used um, two different colleges for okay. it. Okay. Uh, so when we're in that square where the race starts, that's at, um, Royal Holloway, okay. which is part of the university of London, though it's not in London. Yeah. Um, and so the race starts in the square in there and that statue is of Thomas and Jane Holloway. Oh, so he, he started the school Okay. and he, he got all of his money through patent medicine. Oh, you know, quackery medicine. Yeah. That's how he made all of his money. Excellent. Um, and built a school. And the other um, school that they use for mostly for interior shots of Devington is Bearwood College, which is now Redham House School. Um, it's a great big estate that was then, uh, it housed Canadian soldiers from 1914 to 1918. That's something that happened, yeah. Yeah. And after it was used to house Canadian soldiers, two businessmen bought it and turned it into a school. And it's been some sort of school ever since. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I just... I love those buildings. They're just so incredible. I thought for sure they were places in Oxford or something. Yeah. And they're in that style. But, they're gorgeous. But they aren't. Let's cut to the waffle. <laughs> cut the waffle. Sorry. I, I just dislike Daniel's dad so much. You're supposed to. Yeah. I really like when Ludlow attacks him and his hair gets messed up. Yes. <laughs> I just want to noogie him the whole episode, and I hate that he has that ducktail in back where his hair flips up. He's so Charles without being Charles. Yeah, he looks like Prince Charles so much. And he's no time for town and everything for gown. Yep. The obs in the village threw missiles. I thought those were beer cans, not missiles. 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 So he says a couple of interesting things because, like, 
once he starts to talk, I'm like completely bored with him already. He says that Daniel has won colors for cricket. We know what cricket is. Mm -hmm. Dead man's 11. Ruggers. We know from other places it's rugby. And fives. And I was like, what the heck is fives? Fives is a weird game. What is it? It's played with two or four players in a court enclosed on three or four sides with a hard ball being struck with the hand, usually protected by a glove. So it's handball. It's handball. But the reason why it's in these kind of alcoves is it was originally played against the sides of churches and the buttresses acted as the sides of the court. Oh. Well, no windows would have been broken that way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's called fives. They Even though it think. has two to four players. Well, I was at first, I was like, but there's two to four players. I watched a whole video on there's fives. There's three walls, two to four players. Where yes. does the five come in? I watched a whole video on fives. <laughs> and even some of the last championship of fives, it's a very big college game, okay. as you can imagine. It's called fives because you got five fingers oh. in a hand. So <laughs> that's why it's called fives. So if you've lost a finger, do you get? Do, can <laughs> you, you not play? play? Fours. You have to play fours. <laughs> Poor Dick is only playing twos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about Eckersley Hyde. Okay. So he's the headmaster of yes. Devington School, an old boy. Yes. I hate that old boy. Yeah. He's played by Desmond Barrett, who's also in They Seek Him Here, which is a 2007 episode of Midsummer. Yeah, we'll get there. We're pretty close to that. And Desmond Barrett appears to be a genuinely awesome guy. Like, he's just all around very nice guy. Okay. Even though he plays these kind of uppity, you know. Come! Yeah. <laughs> That's not what you say when somebody knocks on your door? Absolutely. <laughs> his favorite thing to do. I work at a private school, but it's very different. It's very different, yeah. He, he's done a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, but his favorite thing to do now in his older age is that he likes playing dames and pantomimes. Oh, Excellent. And there are some incredible pictures of him dressed up as dames. I oh, mean, excellent. lipstick all over the place and bright blue eyeshadow. He has a fun time. We'll we'll add a picture to the to the episode notes. But he seems to be having a really good time now <laughs> playing these not so serious characters. He's Spoon, fun. Spoonman tells Troy not to walk on the grass. Because that's a thing in a lot of schools. And Marcus shows up and he knows everybody's name. I don't know how he knows everybody's name. Because he's he's an insider. I guess. Right? So he knows everybody. And he he tells Barnaby and Charlie Mayhall. And he meets with the uh with the headmaster and goes through the history of the pudding club. There's a scholarship. They get to wear these special silver spoon cufflinks. Get it? Silver spoons with the spoons. They're silver. Get it? Like a get, silver spoon in your mouth? Yes, get it. Get but it. not a plate. Get it, but no no plate. And then the headmaster takes Barnaby to Daniel's room, and I'm off. Personal hygiene and the adolescent male are rarely on speaking terms. Which I think is his best line. <laughs> Teenage boys are stinky. So the following things can be found in Daniel's room. And, and I'm going to pause you just for a second to give you props, because for once... I think the analysis of these rooms is actually interesting because the set dressers did a lot of purposeful things in Arabella's room, in Daniel's room, in Marcus's room, and in Charlie's room yeah. to say things about how they are different from Absolutely. one another. Absolutely. They they 
the set dressers did an amazing job. Except, except for, one, for once. We'll get there. <laughs> Hold on. There's a really good one. Okay. So there's a, a picture of a nun with a grandfather clock and a curved bowl. I couldn't find that picture anywhere. Uh, there's a picture of the seaside. There's a picture of an F1 car crashing. Uh, he has his schedule up, a picture of Pisa with uh, students in front of it, I'm assuming a trip that they went on, picture of a surfier, there's some trophies, a violin case, a lava lamp, a boomerang, a PS1, there were no games, it's unplugged, and a I Heart You card. And very neat drawers. Yes. Oh, and there's a picture of uh, Bart, Bart Simpson. They use cartoons to show character traits. Yes. Because doesn't somebody else have a Homer Simpson poster? No, it's not Homer Simpson. I'll get to who it is. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> no, no, he has a Homer Simpson poster. Yeah, with the brain. It's, it's the one with the brain. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, Daniel likes the Simpsons. Somebody else likes South Park, the naughty boy. Barnaby finds the dirty bag and it has a toothpaste and a razor. And the biggest absolute problem with this is Daniel shaves. <laughs> well, he is 25. Uh, I don't know about that. He's 23. Walk! <laughs> I love it. This episode does such a great job that in the background, in all the scenes of the school, there are teachers yelling, get off the quad! No walking on the grass! There's all this stuff in the background. Boy, stop running! Yep. Get all to this, class! All this stuff in the background, which is great. So they go to Charlie Mayall's room, and all I want to do is fix his collar, first of all. Yeah. I'm like, oh, dude. And this is a very different room. So he has the following things in his room. Uh, the babes of the week. He has several scantily clad women. There's a lot of bikini bikini babes. And he has not one, but two M&M posters. Eminem. Eminem. And some... He's a bad boy. Alcohol-related images. Yes, There's he a Heineken, Heineken bottle picture. Heineken bottle. Just a picture of a Heineken bottle. Yep. Um, his room's messy. It's got a Mac computer and a keyboard in the background because we all know those music types. He also has a Diet Coke that he's drinking and a poster that says Gangster Number 1. I don't know what that's related to. <laughs> And then he has Mr. Hanky from South Park. Yeah. So, you know, Simpsons, good boy. South Park, bad boy. Oh, is that it? Yeah. The Simpsons are classy. I guess so. Oh, okay. I don't know how that works. Uh, I know I'm drinking this Diet Coke, but I want a Fanta now. It's an old Coke. Yeah. The label's half peeled off. There's nothing left. The whole place is full of psychos and weirdos. <laughs> Except I want to be one of them real bad. Yeah, that's clearly obvious. Troy is eating up some sausages. Don't run in the corner, boy! Yeah, Mrs. Bosworth, who works in the kitchen, is feeding him. Did you recognize her from anywhere? No, but I liked her instantly. Uh, the actress's name is Paula Jacobs, and she plays Mrs. Kessler. You recognize that character? Dean Kessler from Animal House. No. No? Okay. She's somebody's mother. No. I don't know. American Werewolf in London. Oh. The... She's the werewolf's mother. That's right. That's right. Yes. Oh, I love me some American Werewolf. In as London. soon as I saw her, I'm like, where do I know her from? I, I, I know her. I can see her much younger. Except for Griffin Dunn and the other lead in American Werewolf in London. I believe everybody else in that movie has been in Midsummer. That may be true. We'll have to do some comparisons. We'll have to. Yeah, but that's where that's where I knew Mrs. Bosworth from. She's so sweet. She makes good sausages. And has lobster. Lobster. She'll feed Troy anytime. Did you get a kind of 
not motherly vibe off that? No, there was kind it was of a, a motherly vibe. Okay. You come here and I'll feed you anytime. Okay. I thought. Um, they go to see Dennis Carter, which is across from Deadly Carew's house. Dennis Carter and his infinite cab. It's a TARDIS cab. I have an entire paragraph in my note going, why is the time so wrong? <laughs> You're so upset about the time, even though so you shouldn't be. <laughs> stupid. Yeah, so he has a little station wagon that apparently in the evenings he uses to drive some kids from Dovington School to the chalk and gown so they can go drink in the upstairs room. And when they clear that room out later in the episode, there's like 30 kids in there. Yeah. Like, do they uh, all fit in that station wagon? <laughs> and as he, as Dennis is about to give up Paul Starkey on second watching, we found a mistake oh, in a Midsummer goodness. episode. In the Carter house. Yes. So, and Tom is sitting at the table with Dennis. Dennis is having some tea. And right as, and then Julia, his daughter, comes home. Julia is the one who Daniel had the thing with. And Dennis gets up. Yes. And behind Julia, there is a handwritten sign on a piece of poster board. Which says, this is a dressed set. Please keep out. A that dressed is... set, meaning that the set dressers had set that room up for that shot and didn't want anybody to come in and move anything. But they including forgot to their move sign. The sign. <laughs> <laughs> That's the really... first real gaffe we We should see. really include a timestamp for folks so they can go right to that point in the episode will, and see that sign. I will put it in the in the episode notes, the timestamp. It just says my notes just say oops. <laughs> <laughs> You're right though, as closely as we watch this, the fact that we've never seen anything so overt other than the credit card. Yes. With the with the production assistant's personal information on it. I think this dress set sign is about the closest thing to a production gaffe that we've seen. Psst, are you the police? <laughs> yes, Dudley, we're the police. Dudley crew. So they go to Dudley's house, which is just another amazing... Like, I I want to find these people who do the set production. It's just brilliant. They do such a good job. Yeah. The crates and crates they must have carried into there of old newspapers, old reports, old books, box files, just the stuff. Now, here's a question for you guys Yes. as you're listening Okay. that Mark and I could not figure out. In Dudley Carew's house, in the main room where they speak to him, the room that has all the papers and box files and craziness, in the center of that room is a desk where he sits and goes through his stuff. And on the corner of that desk is a sagey green colored machine. With a crank. With a crank. It's like two big cylinders and a crank. We think it is like a binding machine, like to put a spiral binding into a set of papers. Like yeah. it might punch the holes and then um, screw a, a metal Yeah, I have one of these spine cool. into it. Yeah. But I'm not sure that that's what it is. Yeah. And I'd like to know if anybody else recognize it and if they can confirm that that's what it is or tell us what it actually is if it's not. I have a number of antique audio, visual, and office equipment things in this room. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I don't know what that is, and I want to know what it is pretty badly. Yeah. So it's on the corner of Dudley's desk. Yeah. So hopefully somebody will take a look and tell us what it is. Also on his desk is the Conspiracy Gazette. You want to subscribe to that, don't you? Real bad. If <laughs> the it was truth real. about crop circles. That's the cover story. <laughs> it's issue 49, volume two. Don't you think that by now they would have covered crop circles? It's only 250. Well, you know, Oswald was at Dovington School before he killed JFK. Well, yeah, Dudley writes an, an issue, a story called The Royal Family Are Working for the Kremlin. Now, you know I watched this show a little too closely. I read the whole article. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's written completely seriously. They wrote the whole, it's not like Laura Mipson. No, it's they real wrote text. the whole article. Now, the second article under that is called In Search of Mysteries. So they kind of <laughs> dropped the ball there. But I think they even dropped the ball even more because that crop circle title page, it should have had Lloyd's name on it. Yeah, that would have been great. That would have been just. It would have been even better if it had a, a butt up body laying in the middle yeah, of it. <laughs> yeah, if they had done that. that You're just, right. Lloyd should have written that article. Yeah, Lloyd should have written it. That would have been his his final piece. Or they could have had. Yeah, they could have had an, uh, an honor of Lloyd. That would have been brilliant. That would have just been fantastic. Yeah. That I was been. hoping. They picked it up and said crop circles. I'm like, Lloyd! Lloyd! <laughs> Poor Lloyd. <laughs> Did you touch anything? You went to the school? Look at the school, not the village. A malign oh. influence on the 20th century. Okay, crazy man. Crazy. He's not wrong. No, he's not. That's the best part is everything he says is right. Except the Oswald thing. Yeah. I mean, he as thinks... a former JFK conspiracist, I know that Oswald was not there. <laughs> you know where he was yes. instead. Well, and he didn't write an article about how the Royals are actually lizard people. No. Right. Well, that's... I mean, that would be crazy. No. The fact that they're working for the Kremlin. That's it's Anthony. No. Who's the lizard person. That's true. Oh, hi, cook uh, at the cap and chalk and gown. I guess we'll take lobster off. The menu. Yeah, now. that's real <laughs> subtle, isn't it? Like, gee, you think that the pub in town gets food from the school? Yeah. Lobster and mayonnaise. Mm. Barnaby gets a scotch. Troy gets an orange juice. That's what they do. Because yeah. Troy's got to drive. And God knows he doesn't need to drink and drive. He's bad enough as he is. Yes. Please remove your muddy boots is on a sign in the back. Oh, that makes sense. Yep. In a country pub. We should have an all-vehicle wait alert for this guy. Oh, wait, here he is when they fall in Paul Starkey there. Yeah, he just shows up, right? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> you know, he's a bad kid. He wears leather and drives a motorcycle. Smoke cigarettes, regents, that also does not have an apostrophe. Okay, so I, I know what happened to you. Okay. Once you realized that you were wrong about the time, you decided to vent all that anger at apostrophes. Is I that it? so. <laughs> Can I talk about hats? Sure. Because we kind of skipped over it when I wanted to talk about it. And now I'm not sure where a good per good place to talk about it is. Because one of the things that just kept kind of niggling around in my brain while I'm watching it is that the, the kids who go to Davington, of course, they wear a uniform. Yes. The super fancy kids wear tails. Yes. Right? Um, With I their uh, spoon... Cufflinks. Cufflinks. I think there's something to be said about colors of bow ties. The the pudding club seem to wear white bow ties. And uh, waistcoats. There's something going on with that, The too. color of the yeah. waistcoats. But they all carry straw boaters. Uh, even uh, the bad kid has one in his room. Yeah. And they, I, I don't see people wearing them. They're carrying them. Well, that's what you do with your straw boater. So it's like you're required to have it. 
yeah. but not required to wear it. Put your strawboater on! <laughs> Which I was surprised by because you'd think when they were outside, they would have had them on. Yeah, you would think. So I went down that rabbit hole because I wanted to know what's the deal with the boaters. Yeah. And they're kind of a British hat anyway. So they are common summer uniform hats. Okay. And schools all over the UK include boaters as part of their uniform. Okay. But only posh schools. Okay. And here's why. Straw boaters are hard to keep on. Oh, why are they hard to keep on? Because they're very shallow. Okay, yeah. They don't really sit on your head. No, I see that. So if you have a small head and you're rich? If you don't have to do much. Oh. It's easy to keep them on. That's, that makes sense. Now, if this happened at Devington in the fall or the winter, they may all be carrying top hats. Oh, they wear tops? Yeah. Wow. Because that's the a beaver skin top hat is the cold weather. Like Sherlock. Hat. Yeah. But Sherlock never wore a boater. Not, no, not, not a flat hat with flaps. No, no, not but like sure, in the books and the at least one of the shows, Sherlock, for the great majority of the books and the shows, wears a top hat. He yeah. doesn't wear and he, the crazy coonskin deerstalker. Yeah, Mrs. Hudson brushes it clean for him, Yeah, right? Because it's actually fur. It's very yeah. short fur, but it's fur. It's beaver fur. Yeah, so that would have been their other uniform hat. Ugh. And um, still at Eton, Cambridge, and Harrow, a boater is part of the official uniform. Wow. That doesn't mean that people wear them or carry them around. They can't be actually made of straw. They are. Oh. Yeah. It's it's braided straw like you would um, make a um, a seat out of. Oh. Like a woven chair seat. It's wonder, like that. I wonder how much one of those would cost. It's braided and then it's stitched together. It's like you braid it into like a flat ribbon. Yeah. And then you stitch it into oh. the shape of a hat. They're pricey. Now, my gigantic noggin could never fit one. It would just sit on top of your head. That's what they yeah. do. Yeah. But I think that's why you see most of them carrying them, because it's a pain in the butt to wear it, because it doesn't stay on your head, unless you have a ribbon on it. Now, can you imagine all these boys running around in hats with ribbons tied under their chins to keep their hats on? No. <laughs> that's another reason why they're good for boating, because if they blow off and they get wet, you can dry them out. It's oh, okay. It's okay. That's good. So at the school that night, we have a kidnapping. Yeah, basically. They go and get Charlie, Chaz, out in his room, and he's just sitting there reading. I don't know what he's reading, but... And they take him up to the pudding club and make him a member. Well, they're about to, and then Anthony comes charging in. Rah, 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 rah. Excuse me while I be a boss around here. Boss, boss, boss. Yeah. Stop running in the hole! <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Tom and, and Troy are interrogating Paul, who he does such a perfect job of, I don't care. I'm not saying anything. I'm not guilty, but I'm going to act like it. I didn't do anything. Yeah. But who I really like is his attorney. Who says nothing, is gets no credit, not even lawyer. But works his face really hard. Yep. Works <laughs> he, super hard. He reacts to everything that's said. Like a... Uh, uh, mimey clown sometimes. Yes. <laughs> like, I got this non-speaking part, but I really want somebody to notice me, so I'm going to really act over here. Hmm, I make a face. <laughs> so the next day in the headmaster's office, he's talking to Anthony. And again, these are two characters I don't really like all that much, so I'm concentrating on the paper. Yeah. The Costa Echo, which has the same border, 
the costume is pretty uh, standard. Mm -hmm. It's consistent. The headline is a little weird. What is it? It took me a while to get it all, but it says, Evacuees Tales of Life in the County. Evacuees from where? I do not know. So these are immigrants? I guess so. Who've been relocated to Midsummer? I guess. Okay, that's bad. Yeah. Like, if you get evacuated from a war zone and they put you in midsummer, you're probably just as likely to die. Exactly. <laughs> Don't relocate me there. That's where everybody gets killed. Let those office. He has the giant spoon. So the story about Archie is in the paper. Archie? Oh, yeah. Who's Archie? Oh, he- oh, wait. The guy from the beginning. Yes. The guy from the beginning who's a diplomat. Of course. Of course he is. He's a very fancy diplomat. We get to see Ludlow's office with his giant spoon rack. Yes, the spoon mace. So his his porter's lodge, in every show I've ever seen that has a porter, at some kind of public university especially. He's got a bowler, the first po- of all. The porter always has a bowler. He's always impeccably polite to everybody, very helpful. But they usually have a little room that looks out onto... Like the alcove the, that the, everybody the entrance. comes in. Yeah. yeah, the entrance to whatever interior space there is to the school. But Ludlow's office, though he does have a little counter, it seems to be inside the building. Yeah, it's weird. Somehow. Um, but it was difficult to kind of figure out where where he is, but he, he, he can show up at any time. His plus five mace of screwiness. He is everywhere. Yeah. Silently appearing all the time. Marcus gives uh, some information at the Talbot's home about Annabella and Arabella and Paul. Mm-hmm. And Daniel. And it's all lies. Every little bit of this is lies. Yeah. Haywood's covering for everybody, especially himself. Yeah. Right. And uh, Andrew goes, Anthony goes, uh, I hope you're not one of these chip on the shoulder types. And Barnaby goes, Nope, I'm a let's do the proper job properly types. And again, just slap them. Just once. Just Anthony just needs a little slap. So then we meet Arabella. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, Bletchley Park. Butchley Park and everything else. Yeah. Arabella, Anna Maxwell Martin. Not only is she in Bletchley Circle, is the name of the show. Yeah. She's also in Death Comes to Pemberley. Yeah. Which um, there's two of those. Um, they're masterpiece theater productions, but they're also really good books. Yes. Where she plays Elizabeth Darcy. Yes. But they're after the books, right? She's also Marilee Watkins in Midwinter of the Spirit, which is a miniseries based on a series of books by Phil Rickman, where she plays a vicar. She's a widowed vicar. Oh, that's right. And there's kind of supernatural stuff. That's right. I forgot about Those that. Those books are all super good. Yeah. Um, but the most recent thing we saw her in was Good Omens. She plays Beelzebub. Yes. In Good Omens. That's quite a range that she's got. Yeah. There. She's got the flies. Oh, she's really nasty. Because she's kind of mousy in Bletchley Circle. Yeah, well, because she looks like a little girl. Yes. Right? So she's very good at playing those kind of, you know, underestimated people. And and the same thing is true of the um Marilee Watkins role too. She's this kind of quiet, reserved vicar, and then she's fighting evil and doing exorcisms and stuff. So he's gross and from the village. <laughs> she does posh really well. Yeah, then. which basically mean the same thing, right? Yeah. To these folks, anyway. If you're from the village, you must be gross. Chaz is now in the pudding club. Yeah. And he's a completely different kid and lies to Barnaby's face. How you get Barnaby mad is be posh and lie to his face. 
yeah, if you obstruct yeah. what he's trying to do for stupid reasons, he's going to get really angry. Barnaby, who looks at Arabella's French notes, which are in French, I did look, mm. and do look like French notes. <laughs> Written by a high school girl. Yep. Big bubbly handwriting. Uh, notices that the handwriting is different than the I Heart uh, Daniel card. Yeah, because the card in Daniel's room was actually written by Julia. Yeah. Julia Carter, um, who's played by Victoria Chalet. She's not an actress anymore. She's now a, a psychotherapist and a counselor. Oh, that's good. She quit acting about 10 years ago. Oh, okay. Well, I hope she helps people. Yeah. Uh, and they go have a word with Dennis, and they sit in his car, and all I can think of is, dude, that hair is coming right out of your nose. Like, <laughs> is gigantic. <laughs> like, I'm like, plot, 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 whatever. Daniel, you need to... Dennis. Dennis, you need to clip those nose hairs. <laughs> and then somebody breaks into Dudley's. Well, before that is when Marcus puts the cigarette in the pie, Yeah. which I'm not really sure why he does that. Because he's angry. He's angry, but yeah. Because he he sees Troy talking to Dave Wench, and he knows that it's it's all out. I think it's just annoying. It's just annoying. It's just a Blaine thing to do. Yeah. (laughs) And Anthony says he's a feckless oik. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Barnaby goes to Dudley's house and meets Julia there, and she just spills the beans about everything. She was in love with Daniel. They were going to run away together. Yep. She was waiting at the Costin bus station, and he didn't show up, and then she finds out he's dead. That's sad. Yeah. They're like Romeo and Juliet. Except I mean, 25. Their, re- <laughs> their relationship is like yes. that. They're not supposed to be together, Yeah. but they were going to run away. And then the best murder of the episode. Oh, Dudley. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he is a pretty lamp. <laughs> <laughs> He's played by Patrick Godfrey, who has a long, long history of acting. But wow, you've got to be a really good actor to be drugged down a set of stairs on your face. Yep, and leave a blood trail behind. And he does it. But it gets better because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we find out in the next morning. Yeah, he's on the cricket pitch. And Barnaby says, smothered by a meat pudding, flattened by a roller, and bashed in the head. Not necessarily in that order. Which is a joke. Yes. Okay? Barnaby tells a joke. And then Troy says, oh, not accidental then. And Barnaby's like, this is no time for jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the one that I just told. Yes. (laughs) But Dudley is a great dead body. Yeah. Underneath that roller. He is in the ground. What struck me is that as fancy as Devington is and as important as cricket is, they have the crappiest cricket score sign ever. Yeah, like you would expect it to be like a jumbotron or something. Or like the one in Dead Man's Eleven, like Which the little, was nicer, the little so, hut yeah. thing. No, this is like a sign that somebody's drawn on with marker 50 million years ago. It's all faded and nasty and yeah. So they cut a hole in the ground and put grass over top of it and then put Dudley in the grass, in the ground. Yeah. I mean, the the roller that you see near him isn't the roller of the machine. No. That's a fake roller. Yeah. But he is in a hole in the ground. Yeah, they do. With a pudding stuck in his mouth. Dead body acting supreme. The first time they showed his face dead, I thought, did they put like a weird prosthetic chin on him or something? <laughs> no, that's a pie. No, it's a pudding. 
crammed into his face. But wow, he's real dead. Yeah. <laughs> real, real dead. And uh, Barnaby figures out that Daniel didn't have his black armband on. <laughs> so now, after all the guys with white sticks have been all over this forest, Troy and Barnaby go there for five minutes and find out everything. Because the white stick brigade did not go to the place where the trunk is. But why didn't you go everywhere? They should have. Yeah. Because if Ludlow had been waiting there. He finds a toothbrush. That toothbrush is nasty. Well, it's been in the trunk of a tree. I doubt that's how Daniel wanted it to, to look. I doubt he would have used it like that, but it fell out of his hold all. There's another newspaper article about missing diplomat questions in the house. But more importantly, above that, there's a picture of a kid in a poultry truck. <laughs> <laughs> and another great headline underneath, it says, Web Info and Technology. Yeah. Then we get the scene at the pub with all the kids upstairs. Yeah. Um, having their drinking and singing and all that stuff. Uh, uh, Charlie bites into that pie. It's just gross. And Arabella has her hands all over him. It's just all skanky, skanky, gross. It's just the scene before my favorite scene. That's all it is. <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens in that scene. Because the next scene is the swimming scene. My God. At what point in the meetings for this show did they go, and now we're going to switch to a horror movie? Bobbing dead diplomats. So... These boys go running out of Devington. They have towels. Yeah, they're blue towels. And they go to a pond somewhere. And they're supposed to swim across this pond. Mm -hmm. But the coach gives them a ball. Yeah. He clearly wants them to play, though. Then he says, no, no, don't play around. And I want to see swimming. Then it looks like he's going to go through their bags. Like he's going through a bag. It's his bag. You it don't, has his talent. I know you don't, but the way he picks it up at first, you think it's not his bag. That doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, but what matters is Archie. <laughs> and what matters is that Archie comes bobbing up out of the water, looking like a zombie, and it's awesome. Fantastic! Like he bobs up to his waist out of the water. Yeah, he does. So it must not be very deep. No. Right. So they make this actor up. They put all the gelatin all over him because that's yeah. what they use to make him look slimy. Yeah. Right? They've got a rope tied around him to make it look like he's been bound up. Yep. And then the kid is like, oh, I can't swim. I'm splashing around, whatever. And then Archie, crouching under the water, looking like a zombie, closes his eyes and just goes, boo, up, out of the water. My notes are, I can't swim. Oh, no, I'm drowning. Dead Archie will save you. <laughs> he's not a very good floaty. No, he's not. <laughs> well, maybe he is now. <laughs> I just kept thinking, brains. <laughs> I wanted him to come back and, and bite that kid. <laughs> rawr, rawr. Troy uh, is not up for this dead body. He's like, <laughs> Tom's looking at into the tarp. He's like, Look at that wound. Look at all that festering crap. Ooh, there's maggots in there. Look at that slimy skin just sloughing off. And Troy's like, I don't want to look at any of that. <laughs> and Marcus is missing. Oh, wait a minute. He's in Anna Arabella's room. Yeah, big like surprise. That's the, the first place I would look. The, it is like the worst. Oh, Marcus is missing. thing. And then Marcus just gives everything up. All of these kids have, well, everybody in this episode 
except Tom and Troy, have rooms that are so outsized. Yes. Eckersley Hyde's office. It's gigantic. It's humongous. It's bigger than our dining room. And it's bigger than our master bathroom, which is ginormous. Yes. It's weird big. But Arabella's room, I mean, it is the perfect teenage girl's room. They did a really good job. Yeah. But it's huge. It's gigantic. And none of these kids have a roommate they have to share with either. Yes. And they have no parents. Just great big rooms. Yeah. Well, I imagine the Haywood parents are probably, you know, off circling the world or doing diplomatic service somewhere fancy yeah. or whatever. So Marcus gives up Ludlow here. And it all slips into place. Yeah. And they go to find Ludlow in his rooms. And they find the clock that set off the bell. They find that there's a timer there's on a that timer. clock. Yeah. Meanwhile, everybody else is looking at the wall and saying, the spoon mace is gone. There's an outline of the spoon. And where is Ludlow? Oh, he's going to take care of Anthony. He's marching across the countryside like the Terminator with his spoon. <laughs> he's the Spooninator. I just see, like, if there was a barn in his way, he would just go in one side and out the other side. Yep. There's a stone wall, boom, right through it. There's a Ludlow-shaped hole in it. And a little spoon cut out next Ludlow, to it, Ludlow the right? Spooninator. Yeah. <laughs> Just walks over cows and goes, you know, straight line right into their house. But they know Ludlow's involved. Yeah, Ludlow and Eckersley, what's it? So. Are the bad guys. Let's go look at the pudding room. Yeah. Okay. Why not go look for Ludlow? Because they haven't been in the pudding room yet. Well, they find out the pudding room secrets in about two seconds, which I'm like. Wouldn't everybody find these out in two seconds? Especially if you leave your white glove halfway underneath the hidden door. Did you notice he had the white gloves on when he was stomping across the... He's got more than one pair. I guess he does. Hello. So, and then they find the Pier 1 stockroom. Yes. Back there. <laughs> With Indiana Jones going, all of this belongs in a museum. Yes. <laughs> the, so the pudding room has no electric lights. It's just candlelight. But when they open up the secret room, there are already candles burning in there. Yeah, somebody was in there already. Eckersley Hyde comes in after them. Oh, I know. <laughs> they, somebody slipped out. <laughs> they just leave the candles burning yeah. there all the time. But there's also that weird green ambient light in there. Yeah, it's strange. There must be like a giant emerald in a case over there <laughs> or something, you know, or, or like nuclear, you know, atomic green nuclear stuff in a tube or this something. This is like the, the thing about this episode that just, doesn't age well is this is so colonialism and they just think of it as well that's what we should do we just smuggle we're helping artifacts. we're helping <laughs> we're helping them and eckersley hyde says they have ivories from afghanistan oh my gosh you were so unsensed by that like from what who uh, uh, i'm like what kind of animal in afghanistan has ivory but, but we we found out that they're actually rare ornamental ivory. They're like plaques. Yeah. Like inlaid ivory things. And they are elephant ivory, but there are no elephants in Afghanistan anymore. And the ivory didn't come from Afghanistan. No. But they're got, ancient. They're it, ancient. Yeah. There's no way anybody would have one of those, by the way. No. no. That's like saying we have one of the pyramids. Yes. <laughs> We know how many they are, and we know where they are. Yeah. Oh, we have one of the Elgin marbles. Yeah. No, you don't. No. <laughs> and then, like, Eckersley, what's his name, is like, oh, well, well, I sent Ludlow to clean up this mess. Mm -hmm. 
like just nonchalantly, like I had him kill a bunch of people. Because no one human is as important as Devington School. And the Pudding Club especially. Yes, the Pudding Treasure. Ludlow, the Spooninator, is going across the field. <laughs> and this is where Miranda really shines. Because she's like, oh, come in. Oh, you're going to go kill him? Okay, I'll wait out here. Ooh, can <laughs> I listen? Is, what is their plan here? Yeah. Because even though she doesn't like him, she would say... He did it. Uh-huh. And when they find Anthony with the spoon-shaped injuries, they I think they might know what happened. Was she going to get spooninated after him? Maybe. I guess. You can't stop Ludlow. <laughs> Anthony goes to use the phone, and it gets spooned. <laughs> it gets spooned. Boom. And he, he, he punches him right in the face. And then his hair gets messed up, and it's like, you go, Ludlow. And then he's like, I'm going to strangle you. Yeah. Okay, this is a great thing about Midsummer. This is a person who we've been hating all episode. Mm-hmm. And now he's being murdered. And we're kind of like, go, Ludlow, go. <laughs> But Ludlow's insane. He is. He's crazy. For the sake of a club at a school, he's killing people. I just wanted him to grab Anthony's hair and, like, pull his head back and shove the spoon down his throat. You will eat your supper. I know, because I wanted to be able to say, oh, gag me with a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) But he actually throws the spoon aside. He's like, I don't need this spoon. I'm going to kill you with my bare hands. It's for telephone smashing. The thing is, is that Ludlow is a great guy. He's helpful. He's useful. He's always around. But when he's got on his white gloves, stay away from him. Yeah. Because that's when he's in killer mode. Yeah. If he's got his white gloves on, stay away. It's it's just nuts. Well, Troy's got on a shiny suit. So. He does. That suit at the end, the, the suit that he's wearing in the closing credits, is so shiny you could see your reflection in it. And then they walk across the glass. The grass. <laughs> and the subtitles say... Don't run in the corner, boy! Yeah, but it says Tom is saying that. And, and then it, it says, says Troy is saying, Why aren't you in lessons, boy? Yeah. <laughs> it would be funnier if it was them yelling those things. It would be funnier. But it's not. And then it's another sort of, oh, it's all wrapped up episode. Har har. Oh, well. You know who I feel bad for? Is Toby. Toby. Yeah. Well, I don't think he's going to be going there to go to school. He got mentioned, but he doesn't even appear in the episode. <laughs> All these kids are going to be finding another school to go to. Yeah. Because Eckersley Hyde is going to jail, too. So after the credits of this episode, Anthony, the headmaster, and Ludlow all have to go to jail. I don't think Anthony's going to go to jail. I think he's going to go to I jail. I think he's one of those guys who gets out, gets out of it all the time. Oh. I think he'll frame Eckersley Hyde and Ludlow for all of it, and they'll go to jail. Because Anthony didn't lift a finger to hurt anybody, so. Yeah, but he stole all these things. Yeah, but prove it. I just think he's the kind of person who gets away with it. I just have a scene of some two guys at a desk in Scotland Yard in, a, like, a basement going, that's where everything is! <laughs> <laughs> the art theft division is like, ha-ha! We can wrap up all of our cases. I, 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 I can kind of... I get some satisfaction out of imagining the three of them in orange jumpsuits, though. Yes. You imagine Anthony in prison yes. with his hair all mussed up. And Eckersley, what's his name, speaking Latin in jail. And Ludlow in the in the commissary going, this spoon's not big enough. It's not big enough. <laughs> I need a big spoon. Well, where's my big spoon? <laughs> Meanwhile, Miranda's like living on the Riviera or something, yeah. very happy. With her, her dead son's girlfriend. 
Yeah, Julia. They can they, hang out together. They seem to hang out together. So who's a better corpse, Dudley or Archie? It's really tough. It is tough. I got to say Dudley because the camera's on him more. Yeah. But, but Archie is really good. They're kind of tied in my head. Yeah. They're both really good. It's tough. That school's not going to be the same. No. I, I would think the school would close. Eh, I don't know. I think they'd bring somebody else in to run it. I just hope Chaz gets beat up and Marcus gets beat up. Charlie and Marcus? Yeah. I, I think The gits will find them. I think Marcus has his own problems. He doesn't need yobs. The yobs will find them. <laughs> and they turn out to be really nice guys and date Arabella. You guys have got to look for that sign in Dennis's house. Yep. So awesome. I'll put it in the show notes. We'll put a timestamp in there for you. We'll give you a picture of uh, Eckersley Hyde dressed as a dame in a pantomime. And uh, a few other things. Thank you uh, once again for listening. We're This is 23, mm-hmm. I think. 24 will be a talent for life. And I got to tell you, the first 20 minutes of that episode is spectacular. Yeah. Is this the is season six the last Troy season? I think season six is the last Troy se- season. Uh, this is the episode with Honor Blackman in it, mm. and she is fantastic. Yep, she I is. I have this notion that she said, either I'm the murderer or I get killed in a gruesome way. One and they way went, or the other. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> we can do that. Oh, this is a fun one, though. It's really fun. Yep. Even without St. Swithin. It's going to rain for 40 days. You're so silly. Remember to put in your apostrophes. <laughs> and don't get upset about time if you don't need to. Nope. Unlike Mark. <laughs> All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. We did. Thank you, Maniacs. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember that we are at Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter and uh, and Instagram. And we're on the Facebook groups for Acorn and Midsummer Murders. And if you listen to us on iTunes or any of those other services, please rate and review us. It helps people find us in the future. I, I can't tell you how many times I've made comments on uh, Facebook posts, especially. I'm like, we just covered this in the podcast. And people are like, podcast? What podcast? <laughs> uh, so next week, episode 24, Lust for Life. Talent for Life. Talent for Life. Sorry. Lust for Life is a completely different thing. But it's a great car. It's a good song. Yep. Yeah. Bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. Parva. Oh, I know what Parva means in Latin. Okay.